Hariyom and welcome to episode 5 of the Gurudev podcast, His Vision, Our Mission. If you haven't already, you can go back and listen to episodes 1 through 4 on iTunes or SoundCloud. Puja Gurudev was a globetrotter. A simple look at his itinerary in the 70s and 80s shows a man who was driven to take his message to seekers all over the world. But it's notable that he never traveled with a sizable entourage. Only a handful of sevaks would travel with Gurudev, working in an administrative capacity. The Gurudev podcast was lucky to interview one of his traveling secretaries, Acharya Vilasni Balakrishnan. The body, mind, intellect. Arjuna Vaja Arjuna Laws of causation. Discover your identity with God. Keep the goal highest. In 1978, Vilasniji graduated from the residential Vedanta course at Sandipani Sadhanalaya. And from 1981 to 1984, Vilasniji traveled with Gurudev throughout India, the United States, and Canada. I met Gurudev completely through grace because there's just no logical reason why I should have met him. But um, when I was in college, I really wanted to go back and spend time in India. And uh, the way that my parents would allow me to go back was to study philosophy. So being a philosophy major at Tufts, university, I um, uh, decided and found a way to go study philosophy in India. And asking around just random people that I knew from my family, one, um, one friend of the families had actually heard Gurudev speak in San Francisco um, a few months before. Usually, a student who graduates from the Vedanta course either serves a mission center full-time or goes back to being a professional. But Vilasniji's situation was different. Where did she go? Back to college. I had to go back to my junior year of college. So then after, you know, a couple of weeks, i uh trying to remember. I think I probably had a week and then I had to go back to um, uh, join college. So you took two years off in the middle of university to study Vedanta. I did. I did. took four months off during my junior year abroad. And um, then I, I came back and went, you know, back to, to university. And then I decided about six months later to join the course and that I should join it right away while it's going on and not wait for the next one. So in the 70s, colleges were really allowing um, a lot of flexibility in their in studies. So I got a two-year leave of absence from college. <laughs> and at the end of the course, I wasn't really sure I needed to finish college, but Guru Dave made it absolutely clear that I needed first before anything else to go back and finish my degree. When the course was just ending, uh, my my parents came to see me in India when I was studying there. And they both absolutely were enthralled by Gurudev. They loved him a lot, each in their own way. And um, my mother, who is a psychologist here in Washington, um, offered to host Gurudev for a yegna. And so he, 
he did. He, he said, yes, I'll come to Washington in 1978. So uh, we did host Gurudev for the, his first visit in Washington and planned the yagna, uh, beautiful yagna. And several of the people like Sadananda, you know, came and met Gurudev at that time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I did not live in Washington, actually, for many years until 1984 or 86, I think. So uh, there was a study group that was going on in my sister's and my father's house, two different locations, and Sadananda was um, leading that. Um, and then, let's see, that went on for several years. And then in 1985, Gurudev came back again for Yegnya. And shortly after that, we moved. My husband and I, Suresh, moved to Washington. And then we started study groups and had another yegna and then camps. And once we had one camp, um, we decided to build, to buy the ashram. So we were all part of that together, working together on that. Capable and eager to serve, Vilasniji sought to serve Gurudev's vision to the best of her ability but actively seeking an opportunity to travel with him was unheard of. Well, with Swamiji, at least I never asked him for anything, uh, rarely. And, uh, you know, we, I think we were all just too too shy or too reserved to even ask him for things. So, But in my heart, I loved traveling with him. And I knew after my course work was over at the ashram, that really that was just the beginning of my sadhana and that I needed to be in the presence of a Mahatma and I needed that satsang for much longer. And I'm so grateful that he he gave me the opportunity. So what happened even in 1978, he came to, our, to Washington and stayed in our home and um, he was it was the beginning of four-month tour, and it turned out that um, he was happy with my chanting of Bhagavad Gita, so I was leading the chanting at the yagnas, <laughs> so, and then he thought I could type okay, so, you know, so um, I just found ways to be helpful, and he said, keep traveling for the four months, so in 78, I did that, and then I went and finished college, and then he posted me in different mission centers. But whenever he came to the U.S., he would ask me to travel, and I would either, you know, do the um, secretarial work and chanting. Gurudev frequently taught that attachments lead to expectations, and expectations that are not fulfilled lead to agitation. It was one thing when Gurudev elaborated on this concept in a lecture, but quite another when he taught it in a more practical way. Gurudev is such a masterful teacher that he works with people's egos and teases people and watches the attachments go up and down. And so the first, uh, so when somebody first said Velocity should go and do videotaping, I was ecstatic. I thought it was the best idea ever. And then um, somebody said, well, shall we book her ticket? And Guru Dave said, oh, what's the hurry? We can wait another year. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
and then my my whole mood would fall, you know, down. And uh, this went on for about two months. That this up and down. And yes, I'll go. And then we'll we'll send her to India. No, we won't. We'll wait until finally I just I saw the play of this and um, just realized I have to surrender and accept whatever comes. And once I achieved that kind of state of whatever equilibrium then he said okay book her ticket <laughs> using any opportunity i think to show us ego and attachment and help us really find that surrender gurudev was undoubtedly one of the world's greatest speakers he mastered his subject and delivered his oratory in a profound humorous and impactful way connecting with an audience is equally as important as content we asked Vilasniji if Gurudev would speak differently to audiences in the East and the West. I did notice a difference uh, in various places that he spoke, and it was, you know, dependent on the audience, definitely. Um, so in, in Siddhabari, there would be, you know, very deep meditative talks where he would really go inward and take us kind of in meditative flights. And then when he was speaking in the public in India, you know, it had had a different tenor, and um, he was speaking to the masses. And then when he came to the United States, it would it would vary according to, to who he was speaking to. So it's hard to generalize East versus West, but um, he definitely, his talks varied. He was a good mirror of his audience. I remember one of the first um, public discourses that I attended in India of his uh, after joining the course. And um, he was speaking on Viveka Chudamani. And it's quite a long story about how I even got permission to go because I was a brahmacharni in the ashram. And uh, we needed permission to go into the city to hear the morning talks. I did get permission to go in and uh, took the train and bus and walked. And it's, you know, 4.30 in the morning. And... I just remember sitting down and he just he he penetrated into people's souls and looked in in my eyes and my heart just to kind of see what kind of a student is she you know and then he would ask questions of the audience and you know is it this or that yes or no basically and um I remember knowing the answer and nodding and he said oh at least one person is listening to me <laughs> you know and that may have been a message to a hundred people in the room you know but each one of us was affected by it you know and felt that he was speaking directly to us he was so observant and so alert to people and um, so caring about people that he would really watch each person and see what they were learning, what they needed to learn, and um, how sincere they were, how much interest they had. So that was a very meaningful talk. Yeah, it was also a little bit meaningful, I, I mean memorable, because um, uh, one longtime brahmacharini, Pavitraji, who had been in Boston but was from Chennai, took me in the morning at 4, 4.30 in the morning by bus and, uh, 
you know, train <laughs> to get and uh, and then we reached the hall ten minutes late, and it was a big hall, you know, Bharatiya Vidya Bhavan Hall, downtown Mumbai. And um, she said, "No, go, go, go up to the front. You know, there's a seat on the aisle, just you know, the third row. Just just walk up." And I didn't know anything <laughs> about protocol and how strict Guru Dave was about um, silence, and and uh, I would never have walked through his talk um, ever again, but she pushed me so much to go, and I did, and I remember him just staring, and everybody was staring at me, <laughs> walking in the middle. <laughs> Somehow I made it up to the front and uh, never did that ever again. Now, working with Gurudev meant you had to keep up with this frenetic pace. 18-hour days were not uncommon, even when he was in his 70s. How did Vilasniji do it? I was probably a third of his age, and I was still getting tired. <laughs> and, you know, it's unbelievable the energy that he had. And I remember being kind of always feeling tired, but extremely peaceful. Like, I wouldn't change it for anything. So so it was, you know, there was just such an energy um, coming and you know and and all the people around him were so lovely and it was so peaceful too that um, somehow it, it became quite quite an effortless um, sadhana I think but yeah he would um, I mean minimum talks were twice a day early morning and evening but even during the day he would either be invited to be a guest speaker somewhere and go out to give uh, another talk, or he would have um, satsangs in his residence. And people would come and ask questions, and um, that would be maybe 11 in the morning and also 4 in the afternoon. We asked Vlasniji to give us a rundown of Gurudev's daily schedule, from the moment he woke up to the time he went to bed. Okay, okay, I'll try to keep this short. <laughs> so... Generally, I would set my alarm, I think, for four. And then um, he would probably wake up around then two. And then by quarter to five, he would open his door. And that was pretty routine. He'd open his door and then, you know, we'd be ready to go in and somebody would make him tea. Um, and then he would start his dictation work. He would be reading letters, dictating replies. And this would go on till maybe 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and then he would leave for his morning talk, which usually was around 6.30 to 7.30, maybe 8. And then he would go for bhiksha, for breakfast bhiksha somewhere, and then either go back to his residence or go to another talk somewhere. <laughs> and then lunch bhiksha would be another place, and then he would come back and take some rest. So he would go into his room for maybe a couple of hours and get some rest. So that's when we caught up with our rest also and or typed letters. Uh, and then 4 o'clock would be another satsang. He would open his door and if he or or usually more dictation as well. And then I think his evening talks were 6.30 to 8. So then he would leave for the evening talk and at 8 o'clock then he would go to another bhiksha and come home by maybe 10 and then get
get a few hours of sleep. And in the United States, when he came here, the evening talks were 7.30 to 9. And then um, the Biksha demand was so strong and people would want him to come from all over. So often he would drive for an hour and then have an hour, an hour and a half Biksha and then drive for an hour back to where his residence was. So it would you know, be sometimes midnight before he would go to get home and then still up at four. Yeah, and he had no alarm, that's for sure. He would just wake up. I never felt that he was tired. I know he was, you know, we knew he was, but it didn't seem to change him. Soraya Diaz-Cofell once said that letter writing can be seen as a gift because someone has taken the time to write and think and express love. Gurudev expressed this love to anyone who wrote him a letter. In the days before the internet and cheap international calls, letters were really the only way to show that personalized regard for each and every seeker. And Gurudev made it a point to respond to all letters that needed a response. And once he said, letters are my religion, he, I mean, it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but he really, really valued that mode of communication. And we used to just... We would greet the postman with such joy. I mean, so many of us said that every day they would look in their mailbox hoping for a letter. You know, and whenever a letter came, it was just so joyful. You know, you get very excited and open it up. And yeah, he wrote a lot of letters. And what he would do then is he would mark um, the, the city where he would meet the person next he would write that on the letter and circle it and put it, say, put it in my file because when I get to that city, I want to remember this letter and meet that person. In the early 1980s, Gurudev underwent a bypass surgery. Mission members wanted the best medical care for Gurudev, so the surgery was performed in Houston, Texas by Denton Cooley, a heart surgeon famous for performing the first ever implantation of a total artificial heart. Dr. Cooley passed away recently, in November 2016, at the age of 96. The bypass surgery was successful, and Gurudev exclaimed that Narayana has given me 10 more years to work. But his doctors advised that he slow down his pace, and Gurudev resisted with his trademark humor. So the doctors would, like, they would say, um, Swamiji, you really have to reduce your travel. You know, it's too much traveling. You know, your heart won't be able to withstand it. And he said, but Dr. Saab, I am not traveling. My plane goes up in the air, and under the plane, the world, the earth moves. And then my plane comes down. <laughs> he said, I'm not traveling at all. Don't worry about it. Another kind of cute one was um, uh, after his heart surgery, Swamiji did exercise a bit, um, he w he went for walks a bit, and then once he started his yagna, yagnas up again, he did not. He really didn't have time. But there's would come, and I remember them coming and saying, "Swamiji, are you taking your walk, your daily walk?" And he got this very wide-eyed look, like very innocent expression on his face, and. He nodded his head up and down. He said, yes, doctor. But, you know, and then there was this pregnant pause. He said, in my mind, <laughs> he can't tell a lie. You know? and, 
<laughs> and the doctors would laugh. I mean, how can you, you know, even scold somebody like that? He would uh, try to get away with it. But um, but really his main, um, what he always said and he truly, truly believed is, he said, you know, uh, I am doing Lord's work, what I feel Lord is telling me to do, what Narayana is telling me, spreading his glories. If he wants me to continue, it's his work to look after me and to keep my health. And I leave it in his hands. So he did not worry about his health at all. It it really, truly was. He was not at all concerned or fearful about his health. And he took great risks with it, and he lived a very very full life. I mean, um, he was uh, full geared through till he was 77. Swami Chinmayananji, the man, inspired his followers to learn Vedanta and live a life of purpose. These followers furthered his vision by forming a structured, robust organization, Chinmay Mission. So now, what's our mission? The best way any of us can keep Gurudev's vision alive is to make it our vision. And this was Gurudev's only wish. He did not value organizations for their own sake. He valued them for our sakes. And all the mission programs are of value only when they help us to grow inwardly. Um, as a young adult, Gurudev saw his society where people had forgotten why they took this birth, and they were squandering it away with meaningless pursuits. And Gurudev found in his own life what had meaning, and he found it in Vedanta. Vedanta gives us an amazing blueprint to a meaningful life that opens the heart and purifies the mind. Um, Karma Yoga shows us how to improve ourselves while also caring about others. And this is all possible the more we see Narayana's play in life. So... The Chick program, I think what the Chicks are doing is perfect at keeping Gurudev's vision alive because it emphasizes study of scriptures, satsangs, retreats, personal sadhana, and karma yoga service projects as well. So these all exemplify what Gurudev recommended for our growth and I would say to the chicks, just follow the chick program and it will answer all your questions. Guruji Gurudev's mere presence uplifted so many. He would give talks with thousands of attendees and countless people credit him for inspiring them to live for something higher and surpass what they thought their potential was. But after his Mahasamadhi, how did his followers carry on after depending on him for so many years? I gave some, I mean, that's always been in my mind. You know, that was our big question. But I would say Gurudev always taught us that our self-growth depended upon self-introspection and finding the truth within us. So even though we all missed his physical presence immensely, he taught us um, that we must not rely on him. And he often said, like, there are two types of gurus. He said there's a monkey guru and there's a cat guru. 
So the cat gurus carry their disciples like a mother cat carries her kittens and takes complete care of them. The, the kittens don't even have eyes open and takes care of them for weeks and weeks. But a monkey guru does not hold on to a baby. I mean, a monkey doesn't hold on to its baby. The baby has to hold on tight to the mother. So in the same way Guru Dave said, I am not a cat guru. You will have to hold on tight to my teachings and example. And he really would tell us always to hold on tight to his teachings, not to him. And his teachings taught us how to meet him in meditation and find that joy of service. So I think each of us who knew him in person and even those who met him later through his teachings, they have an inner relationship with the Guru and that has to be nurtured through sadhana. So he told us this for years and we knew, we knew it. And it was hard to practice just because we had been so fortunate to have him in the physical presence. But we knew that it was very important to hold on to his teachings and to keep the sadhana as strong. And you know, it's really just that knowing of Guru Dev that makes it so easy to stay inspired. I mean, one thought of him and his life, it's like just, it just uplifts and inspires every, every day, every moment. And it's not just people who met him, but people who meet him through his teachings. Meet him through his teachings. And that's what we've done for 23 years. The Gurudev Podcast is produced by Chick West and brought to you by Sattvic Media. Our content manager is Ramesh Chiru. Our executive producer is Swami Sarveshananji. And I'm your host, Sridhar Garra. Vande Chinmaya Sadgurum.